Hello and welcome, all you guys, gals, and non-binary pals. Welcome to Owen the Wiz, where we are live for the two of us and pre-recorded for the rest of y'all. My name is Tristan Jordan, and I am joined, as always, by my good friend Matt Lundy. We are here to talk all things soccer from the City of Fountains every single week. On this episode, we are going to touch on the highlights of SKC's losses to Vancouver and Nashville. There's been an update on the Jose Maori saga. We're going to preview Sporting's next match against the table, topping LAFC. But this episode will primarily be devoted to discussing the state of the club. We have a lot to get into with a small amount of time, so let's dig right in. Matt, first things first, got to check on you. How you doing, my man? Well, personally, I'm doing fine, but uh, all the teams that I root for are losing currently. So, Oof. you know... In the sports world, things are not going too well for me. But yeah. you know what? It ebbs and flows. It'll bounce back eventually. It's just a little bit of rough patch. There you go. There you so, go. Hey, at least the, t- the your soccer team that you coach will win tomorrow. I, I've got really, a feeling. I really hope so. I, th- I think we can get a good win. But, you know, Chelsea. I am a Chelsea fan. Knocked yeah. out of the Champions League. In uh, what was an exciting game for the neutral viewer, so I'm sure that of course. you enjoyed seeing that. Loved one. it, yeah. Five four in aggregate, crazy goals, overtime. No goals. Uh, yep. Chef's kiss on the entirety of Luka Modric. You know what? If you go out, I, I will say if I can lose graciously if the goal that was scored is the goal that knocks us out. I mean, right. the assist was better than the goal, I think, and Benzema obviously showing his class. So we'll see. We'll see how Champions League progresses. But yeah, well, uh, West Ham are still vibing in the in the uh, Europa League. So sorry about you. There you I guess go. we are just the bigger club. Uh, we sure. are massive after all. Sticking around in Europe a little bit longer than us. <laughs> Even hey if man, it's a slightly gonna... different class. Hey, it's same level. They're both European competitions. Uh-huh. What do you mean? Hey, I said that too when we won Europa League a few years ago. So. <laughs> uh, plus, we don't have to worry about Sevilla, the champions of, like, they just own Europa League, and we owned them in the Europa League. So I think that means that there's a new, new, uh, new set of weaponry on the block. I in think the that hammers. gives you some hope there. Yeah, man. Some some bragging rights yeah. even, and I will say so. uh, the other the other Kansas City sports team, you know, congratulations to uh, KU basketball for getting a national championship as well. Yeah, they're just not my team. I'm a K State guy, but uh, yeah. I have to I have to tip my cap to them as well for for getting a win. So I feel like that's everyone true. else is winning besides the teams I root for, but that's that's okay. <laughs> Yeah, Royals are right out high watch. with two wins, and then they've been on two losses. I don't know how they did against St. Louis uh, today, or may- maybe it was yesterday that they started playing St. Louis. But uh, yeah, not Royals supposed to have a good season. Started out really well, not so much recently. But how are the current doing? You have an update on the current for us? Uh, well, at home they struggled. I actually am a season ticket holder, so I got to go to. Their last home game, which I guess was their first home game of the season, and they struggled. They lost uh, three to zero, and it was one of those games where I just felt like nothing went their way. A few of the goals were self-inflicted. They had an own goal at the beginning. They had a goal 
that was just, you know, losing the ball out of the back. So it was kind of a rough start. You know, you don't want your first home game to go like that. But uh, before their first home game, they were 2-0-1, two wins okay, and a tie. So I don't know. They've got another home game coming up on the 15th, another home game on the 24th. So I think they'll get some get some games back there. It was right. it was really fun to see the debut of that club and see the the city come and support the team and everything like that. So heck yeah, pretty cool. I'm still I'm still waiting to get out to a game. You might uh you might have to blood me pull at, some at strings, get a ticket. Yeah, yeah, we might be able to make that happen. Heck yeah, heck yeah. Well, all right, let's move right on into SKC v Vancouver. I'll go over the lineup, then you can go over the review since you were the one who kind of put out the overview. So, in net, we always have Melia. Across the back line, we have Zussi on the right, EC and Fontas in the middle in that order, and Ben Sweat all the way on the left in the fullback spot. In the midfield, we have Voltaire and uh, Felipe Hernandez as the dual pivot, eight tens up in the top of the midfield. As this lone six, we have Uri Rossell, and then we have Johnny Shelton and Daniel Shallowy across from right to left in the attacking formation. We did have some subs in this match. Um, Uri was subbed off at halftime and Roger was brought in that pulled Voltaire into the six and pushed um, Roger up into the right side of that midfield triangle. All right. The thing I noticed before I hand it off to you was that this was the sixth different starting lineup in six different matches. So keep that in mind as as Matt goes over this match review. Matt, take it away, my friend. Sure. Uh, So, yeah, just to kind of play off what you said, six different uh, formations, not necessarily formations, sorry, six different lineups. And uh, even before the normal sub time in, in a game, you know, 60th minute on, we're seeing changes as well. So we had lots of rotation, lots of in and out, and I think that might play a part in the performance of this game. But I'll just start towards the beginning. We'll just go through some of the key things. We're probably not going to go into as much detail here on our match reviews today just because we're covering two matches at once. And I will say the other thing is I watched this game. Uh, I did not watch the game live. So I basically watched a recording of it later. And I already knew the scoreline. So I think I was a little bit biased and I was maybe watching the game through a different lens because I knew how the the game ended but uh yeah so just to start 36 minute we had a yellow card to uh Tybert for stopping a counter sporting case he had won the ball in our half we were starting to get the ball up and I believe it was a foul on Voltaire that drew that yellow card in the 45th minute yellow card goes to Burhalter I believe that's Greg's son correct Yes, it is. Sebastian? Did I get that right? Yeah, yes, Sebastian. Sebastian. And he was traded, or I guess transferred from Columbus to Vancouver. Right, that's right. That's right. So he gets a yellow card for a foul from behind on Shallowy in the defensive half, kind of similar to the Tybert foul where Shallowy's carrying the ball, and it's just a slide from behind. It was pretty obvious. We'll talk. There's one more yellow card, but that seemed to happen basically every time Sporting KC got the ball in transition is that – Vancouver just looked to basically take them out as soon as they could and just get numbers behind the ball. 
Uh, we see then in the 51st minute, this is one of the most exciting chances that didn't lead to a goal. Shallowy gets the ball on the right side, uh, kind of out by the touchline, just takes the ball into empty space in the middle, wiggles his way through a few defenders and gets a right-footed shot. I think he could have done a little bit better here. He actually had quite a bit of space, but he basically puts it right at Vancouver's keeper. Then in what might have been Vancouver's best chance besides the goal, Vancouver's knocking the ball around. They get a lofted cross from the left-hand side of the box, kind of a little bit outside of the 18 towards the back post. And it's basically a free header uh, that just gets put straight into Melia's hands, which was kind of the story. I just went over two chances that could have very easily been goals for both teams. And that was kind of the deal. Vancouver had 12 shots to Sporting KC's 11. And both teams were just not putting them away. But that changed for Vancouver in the 72nd minute. Cavallini drops deep off of the forward line to receive the ball. Basically gets to turn because no one tracked him into midfield. And he pings a, you know, a, a, a ball that you would usually see a, a six playing. A long lofted ball all the way over to the left side. Uh, which eventually ends up with Baldismo who just chips a pass over Sporting KC's midfield and back line onto the run of Cavallini and Raposo. And it's a little bit of a scramble because both players are, you know, they're doing that thing where they're trying to figure out who's actually going to get the foot on the end of the ball. They're kind of running into each other, but it ends up being tapped home by Raposo. And uh, EC is caught ball watching on this goal. Cavallini actually kind of sneaks behind him. Uh Maybe you could say it's a communication error between Fontas and Izzy because it was kind of Fontas's guy that he didn't really pass off or maybe EC didn't hear him or whatever, but it ends up in the back of Sporting KC's net on that scramble. And then to finish the game, Sporting KC had several subs. It was getting a little bit more energetic. Uh, we created a few more chances, but was we were unable to find the back of the net. And then in the 94th minute, again, we're trying to carry the ball into their half. We see a yellow card go to Godinho for a bad foul from behind on Jonis. Watching this game, I think this was still optimistic. Peter Vermes here, and I'll share a quote from him uh, here in a second. But even though we were the away team, even with the rotation, this was still a game that was pretty even. If you look at the stats, I believe it was 52% possession of Sporting KC and 48% to Vancouver. It was very close to 50-50. Both teams enjoyed a fair share of possession here, which if you consider that Vancouver's the home team, I'd consider that a win for Sporting KC in terms of possession. As far as shots go, like I shared earlier, Vancouver had 12 and Sporting KC had 11. And I believe they almost split, if not were very close on uh, shots on goal as well. So this is a pretty even, even match. I feel like Sporting KC was trying to carry the ball into Vancouver's half a lot. Uh, they had lots of dribbly-type players. Shallowy had several good dribbles. Russell had several good dri dribbles. Voltaire was carrying the ball into the box. When Jonis came on, he was also carrying the ball. Uh, when Duke came on, he was carrying the ball towards the box. That was Sporting KC's game plan, I feel like. If you look at Vancouver... It seemed like they were playing lots of crosses. They kept getting the ball wide, sending it in. And for the most part, with those opportunities, Sporting KC was doing a good job of dealing with it. It was that ball over 
uh, in behind that ended up getting us. So after the match, Peter Vermes comes out with a quote. He says, the only thing that was lacking was goals. Our game plan was good. We took advantage of the things that we talked about. We actually did. We just need to score those chances we had. We had some very good chances that we either didn't execute on uh, on the final spot, or sorry, that we didn't execute on the final shot in a good technical way, or we were just too slow on the trigger. What we lacked tonight was scoring goals. That's the bottom line. And so I think it's interesting when I watched this game, I knew the score line. And so as I'm seeing these shots or these build up four shots and opportunities, I knew that none of them ended up in the back of the net. And so I felt like unlike watching a live game, I wasn't necessarily getting on the edge of my seat for those shots, but I, uh, I, I didn't know Peter's quote at this time, but I agreed with him before even seeing this quote that the shot selection that we were taking wasn't always the best or we had a shot in an amazing place. We just weren't actually putting the ball into the back of the net. We were almost always hitting it straight at the keeper. So I was slightly optimistic after this game. However, I and feel free to add your input here. The lineup was missing stuff still for me, especially after Razel was pulled out with a continued injury that he's been dealing with. I, I just feel like we're still playing with players that are depth pieces in the squad and they are currently starting on this team. And so, okay. So who, me, when, you, when you say who are depth players, are you referring to Felipe Hernandez? Um, ben sweat. Who, who are we looking at when you're saying that? I think, or is that more of like a mentality thing? Well, I think that Felipe Hernandez is a depth player. I think he's okay. a really great depth player. I think he's an amazing player to bring off the bench, but I think that he is currently starting right now because of necessity. I don't think that there's anybody else that we can start in front of him because of injuries. I think if Gotti Kinda is healthy, I really don't see him starting on the squad. Okay. Um, then Russell, I think is a starter here, but obviously we will see in the next game with him being injured. That's, going to hurt our starting lineup a little bit and then to me also I think although he performed well last season Shelton is not the starting striker of this team it's Alan Polito when he's healthy and I know that we're not going to get him back for this entire season but I think if you look at all the strikers around MLS not many teams are playing with a striker that they don't intend on having score goals and I think he brings a lot to this team but I think Shelton also plays best if you have midfielders that are able to play the ball into him so that he can get the ball out to our wingers. And currently, with the midfielders that we're playing, I don't really see them as ball-playing midfielders. Um, we'll talk. I have some stuff to, that I want to share about Roger, maybe when we get into your game. But I think that some of the things that these midfielders bring – are more off-the-ball attributes than on-the-ball attributes. And so then I think that actually brings down Shelton's game a little bit. Okay. I I would agree with you that Shelton is not the starting striker on this team, obviously because we spent nearly $9 million on Alan Polito. Um, I think the other thing is that 
Shelton has struggled a lot with fighting and we'll get into this a little bit more um, when we talk about the state of the club and in the Nashville match, but Shelton has been struggling a lot with not getting calls. And in that he is internalizing that and allowing it to affect him instead of channeling it um, into playing harder. Like I know that's a very cliche phrase is play harder, play your heart out, give it 110%. But honestly, that's a lot of what it is. Kyrie is getting himself in a really good spots, but then he's getting fouled clearly fouled. Either it's outside the box. It's in the box. It's around the outside. He's in the buildup. He's just getting fouled all over the pitch when he's getting involved. And that's deterring him from wanting to get involved because he knows that if he gets taken down, he's not going to have his team get the advantage of a foul call. So to a degree, I understand Kyrie's mentality in that respect, but also he's got to figure it out. If he truly wants to be the starting nine, he's got to figure out, okay, I either have to go to ground and, and embellish a little bit more, which I'm not personally a big fan of, but it works for many forwards in this league, or he can hit the gym a little bit more and not go down and truly shove people over and have fouls called against him until referees realize, oh, maybe we're in the wrong. So I would say Voinovich would make sense, but that's also easy to say following the Nashville game. So I would agree with you. I think Felipe is definitely on the bench. If Gotti is healthy, I think Sweat is a starter over Logan and Denbe purely because of experience in the league compared to youth and attacking prowess. But we'll we'll talk about those a little bit more mm. in the I, next match. I do want to touch on that real quick i know you said next match i was gonna yeah, go say, for it. and i guess i can i can save it if you want to talk about sweat later we can use it as a segue go for it we okay sure i think that i've well i've seen sweat get a lot of hate on social media a lot of people i think enjoyed the inc- the excitement of logan and dembe that he brought in our first few games his attacking attributes his ability to get up the field and provide some service there. But I think what Vermes is looking for in some of these games where they're going to be a little bit more cagey, where we're missing some of our players that can implement our system best. I think Peter's always going to go with the player that's going to be the most consistent. And I think he can count on sweat to play that position and not give up much from that position. I think that if you play in Dimbe, you're relying on him to recover a lot. And so far in the season, I think that Peter's got to weigh risk and reward. And until we start scoring goals, I don't think that you can necessarily risk in Dembe playing. Because if Sporting KC is only going to score one goal a game, then I don't think that attacking addition helps us much. Because then one or two goals scored on us is a tire a loss. I I agree with you, but just for the sake of not having two people who agree with each other on the same podcast, I'm going to play devil's advocate and go against you here. I think the reason why the majority of the fan base is saying, no, Matt, you're wrong. Ben Sweat needs off the pitch. We need that extra attacker because we're not scoring goal- goals. 
that's sure. the the other side of the coin is instead of solidifying your defense to hold that one nil lead like a team like I don't know say Nashville has done really well since joining the league they want to see us be a little bit more of a chaotic club like say San Jose who throws every single body into the attacking half and everyone is an attacking player even their center backs are going to dribble forward. We've seen that from EC. We've seen that from Fontas. So I can understand why much of this fan base expects that kind of a style, that kind of a mentality towards the attacking side of the coin. But on the flip, from your perspective, I totally understand it. And I definitely side with you. But I can also understand where fans are coming from in their frustration with, we don't need another defender. We need another attacker. Ben Sweat isn't helping us on attack. And he's certainly not helping us on the fence considering he whiffed a clearance that led to an opportunity against Nashville. Well, then that's a perfect transition into the Nashville game because guess who gets an assist? Exactly. In the Nashville game. Exactly. So we're going to get into the Nashville match right now. So this is – I'm going to go over the starting lineup. This is the seventh different starting lineup in seven different matches. And I will touch on that after I go over – who was in it. Okay. In goal, we have the ever-reliable or unreliable Timulia. I'm a, I'm a ball with reliable, but I digress. Ben Sweat and left back. Andreu, left center back. Isimat Midin, uh, right center back. Graham Zussi, right back. Roger Espinosa at the six. Remy Voltaire and Cam Duke at the dual pivot. Cam Duke comes off at halftime for Felipe Hernandez. Daniel Shallowy, left wing. Kyrie Shelton, striker. Johnny Russell, right wing. Okay, Matt, as a head coach, do you think it is a wise decision when you have all bodies available to continuously put out a new starting 11? And obviously your answer is going to be no. So let me preface this a little bit different. What are the disadvantages of having a different starting 11 every single match? And what are the advantages of having the same starting 11 every match? I'd say the advantages of being able to play the same starting 11 is those players, especially at the beginning of the season, can come into form a little bit. They can start to understand their roles a little bit better. They can start understanding how to link up with other players that are on the same side of the field, players that are in the same line as them or midfield triangle as them. And that's really, really important at the beginning of the season. That's why things like preseason matter. That's the, why things like uh, preseason camps matter. That's why getting reps in meaningful matches at the beginning of the season matters. That's why sometimes these teams that go and do things like CONCACAF Champions League actually train through that off period because they're trying to keep that cohesion as a team, keep that chemistry. When we're rotating players, it just kind of breaks that up. And I think there is such thing as healthy rotation. Obviously, subs matter. But on the same, you know, to continue on with my point, if you look at the way that this team is being rotated – I think there's a lot of players being asked to do different roles in each and every game. So, for instance, you brought up Espinoza at the six. 
When was the last time we saw Roger Espinosa play a six? That's a very different position, at least in Peter Vermes's style, than uh, Roger as an eight. We've seen Voltaire have to change his position. Uh, we've seen, let's see, who are some? We've seen Shallowy have to play as a pseudo striker. We've seen Shelton have to play out wide. I think these yeah. are all different. They are very different tasks. And I think all of these players are very smart and can play a role maybe somewhere else. But I think that we're asking these players to make switches every game. It's not the occasional game. It's every game. And I think that can keep a team from being at its maximum potential. The other thing I'd say is Roger at the six felt very like 90s soccer or early 2000s after the style had changed from, oh, we're going to play sweeper stopper. We're going to implement back four systems, but then we're going to play with a defensive midfielder that's more of a destroyer. I remember that used to be a thing. You, your, your defensive midfielder was not a ball player. They were there to win the ball in front of the center backs. Yeah, but very that has Diego not... Chara-esque. Right, but that, that hasn't been a thing for a really long time. I feel like it's a very niche thing for teams to have nowadays. And so I, I just found it very strange. Um, yeah. I don't know. And so to justify it, Peter Vermees was asked post-game, what was up with the midfield formation? Because typically if Voltaire is in the midfield and Uri is not there, Voltaire is at the six. And we saw uh, Voltaire at the six for the majority of last season, at least when Jose Mauri wasn't on the team, because Elie was playing center back to make up for EC's injury. So that's another reason why I think this took a lot of people, including yourself, off guard to see Voltaire not at the six. But – in Peter's post-game presser, he said that Uri was a late scratch. So Uri was training with the team up until the locker room before the match. And then they had to pull him because he still wasn't 100% ready to go. And obviously, we've seen players start lacking 100%. And Peter is tired of that. And he wants to give guys the full time to get healthy, blah, 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 whatever. I'm going to move on and basically say that Remy was training all week at the eight. Peter said this. He said, we didn't want to change the whole makeup of the team because if Remy was a pivotal factor in the attacking components in one of those pivot eight roles, you're definitely not going to want to pull him and put him at the six and then shuffle the entirety of the attacking concepts, formations, everything that you'd worked on in, in the, over the week. So I think it made sense to leave Remy there and then shove a guy who maybe wasn't supposed to be in this lineup, i.e. Roger, who you trust and you know is going to be quality and, and putting in the effort that he needs to do in that destroyer role like that 90s position that you discussed. So I think Peter was sort of scrambling for a Band-Aid given the lateness of the scratch, and I, I don't think it was a terrible move, but I, I do believe that, there, that Peter acknowledged that it wasn't the best move and made movement elsewhere in the match, which we'll touch on around halftime. So before we get into the, the highlights of this match, there was no VAR from the go. Um, there was also, to preface, I'm watching the CONCACAF uh, 
Scotia Bank Concacaf Champions League uh, semifinal. Gotta get second the branding between, in there. Between hey, gotta give a shout out to <laughs> Scotia Bank, right? Uh, for between NYCFC and Seattle, and we're not even a minute in, and there's about to be a red card handed out. This is unreal. A very dirty tackle. Oh, just kidding. It's just going to be a plain yellow, but this is insane. All right, sorry. Back to it. Um, yeah, so there's no VAR. There was some issue with some video equipment. Ali Trost let us know from the field, yada, yada. That's not going to be a thing, so all calls are final. So this penalty that was not a penalty in the 13th minute, I personally believe it's a penalty. What do you think, Matt? There was contact from EC as he brought down Hani Mukhtar in the box. He was pulling on his leg a little bit, a little bit of leg-to-leg contact, or pulling on his arm, a little bit of leg-to-leg. What do you feel, pen or no pen? I mean, I'm looking at this through the lens of if this is flipped the other way around, how am I feeling about it? And it's really hard to make an argument against the referee making a bad call if the defender has their hands on the other player. There's especially if they're basically pulling them back. So to me, is this a penalty? Yes, probably. Is it kind of a soft penalty? Yes. Does the attacker make the most out of it to maybe buy it? I think so. But I think EC just has to be a little bit more careful in that area of the pitch. Okay. I, I would agree. I think it's a pen, and I agree that EC can't have his hands where he had his hands. It was pretty obvious that he, I, w- I would say that Hani Mukhtar went down a little easy, but I also don't think that it was easy enough to where it wouldn't be called a penalty. I think it was a valid call for a pen. So I think you just have Nelia to be more coming clever up as the yeah. defender. You've just got to come up with a better way to bring him down if you want to bring him down inside the box, right? So, Melia came up massive on the save. It wasn't incredibly difficult. You could tell he was about to dive to his left. Hani kicked it right at his feet. So, Melia sort of last second had to adjust the amount of push-off he had and was able to save it. Um, Really well done from the king of penalties in Tim Melia. There were several massive saves early in this match. They mentioned it on the broadcast, and – Sweat had a good opportunity, a shot on the left side, the near side of the screen, took a shot at a tight angle. Joe Willis did well to parry it out. Shallowy had a phenomenal header that I don't know how Joe Willis saved it, but he certainly kept it out. Moving along, 25th minute comes across Remy Voltaire. Goal. This ball was, uh, this goal was really well worked. Um, This is sort of, the way we transitioned into this match, talking about Ben Sweat and his attacking prowess, Daniel Shallowy did great to weave his way into a strong opportunity. And honestly, I was expecting Daniel to cut this on on his right and have a go far post, aiming for that top corner. He tricked us all and laid it wide out to Ben Sweat, who none of us really saw as much of an attacking threat. And Ben Sweat said, bet, I'll raise you one better. And he sent a perfectly on-the-ground low cross in. Voltaire came sprinting in and just reinforced Peter's reasoning as to why he calls him Benzema during training and why he put him in at the eight. It's moments like this. Voltaire is able to get himself into sneaky spots 
where the defenders aren't expecting him to be there. The midfield isn't ready for that overload of attacking pressure. And Voltaire is almost always ready to, to help tip the scales in favor of SKC in the attack. So I like that look going forward. Did you have anything you wanted to say about Ben Sweat and this goal or about this goal in general? I think this goal reminded me a lot of the goal that Roger scored against Chicago a few weeks ago. It was kind of worked into the same area of the field and then played across the box in the same way. And I'm a fan of that kind of goal, a team goal that ends in a cross, basically like cutting back across towards the top of the six. You know, a very Man City-esque goal. And what were you going to say? As a kid, this is the way that I was always taught to play, was send it out wide, forget the middle of the pitch, send it to the wings, fullbacks, give it to the wingers, wingers send it across, and somebody, all of those midfielders and the attacker are going to be chilling in the box, and somebody better put the ball into the back of the net. That is how I was drilled on how to play this sport from a very young age. Yep, and I think a lot like – a lot like – in that goal that was scored against Chicago a few weeks ago, there's lots of sporting KC players that touched the ball in the buildup for this goal. And then it's just, it's one of those goals that it gives you that flash of this is sporting KC, right? This is the sporting KC we're used to. We're just only getting it in these short little spurts. And then we're struggling for much of the rest of this game. So yes. Ugh. Yes, it was and, just, and it, it's hard. These goals are hard because it gives you hope and then it ends up getting crushed. But. Yes. And, and something that is frightening that we discussed in our preseason pod, sort of breaking down our expectations and our fears was that sporting would, one of my fears at least was that sporting would be weak on the defensive side of it and not be able to hold on to, whatever lead they amounted in the first half, be that one goal, two goal, three goals, whatever it is. In 2019, Sporting showed that they can't hold leads. And they've been fighting ever since then in 2020 through COVID, 2021 last season with another off, sort of out of whack season. They've been fighting themselves in trying to maintain leads. And it continues with this match. In the 51st minute, Dave Romney has a nice header right into the back of the net. It was from a set piece that was sent wide to the far side. Randall Leal sort of finessed his way into a cross, and Romney was there to find the back of the net. Automatically, Sporting, in this moment, have to go, okay, no more. We've given up one. At this point, we play for a draw or a win. We can't shut down. And unfortunately, Sporting shut down. In the 68th minute, another goal for Nashville finds the back of the net. This one was a bit more of a cluster as the ball found its way from a set piece into the box. It was really sort of bouncing around, and eventually C.J. Sapong, the former SKC man, comes out of nowhere and pokes it in. So this one – I'm sorry, it wasn't a set piece. It was a long throw. But either way, it's a stoppage of play where the ball is – like Sporting has time to set up their defense. And they should have been prepared for that type of a moment, considering Dave Romney had come up with his big arms who was going to give this big, bad, long throw. Same thing with the set piece. Sporting has to maintain their structure on defense and 
their steadfast determination to prevent a freaking goal. You're a professional. Do your job. Moving on, Daniel Shallowy almost had several opportunities, one of which came after the second Nashville goal. Daniel could have tied the match, but his beautiful right-footed, he's on the far side of the box, right foot just outside the box, curling to the back post, hits the wrong rounded edge of the back post and bounces towards the near sideline. Nashville are able to spur a counterattack on this opportunity. Amelia comes up massive on the save. Matt, this game finishes 2-1 in favor of Nashville. Set pieces, as I mentioned, the long throw, the, the set piece goal with the free kick. What is something that sporting can do to be better at defending these, especially against teams like Nashville, who are, as we all know, great at set pieces. How can a team be smarter in defense of a set piece? That's a really good question. I think that in this case, you've got to put Sporting KC's best defenders on the attacking threats for the set pieces. Sporting KC tends to do this thing where they will sort of zonal mark for some of the box. Usually it's our two center backs are kind of zonal marking in the six. And then the rest of the players are man marking. Well, on the set piece, which is scored almost in the same way a corner is, now everybody's having to man mark. It's it's not the same way it's uh, a corner is defended. And so I think if you've got players like, EC and Fantas who are being told to usually defend space and now they're having to follow a man. It just, it kind of confuses the two. And so I think you just have to be consistent. I'm a big fan of just man marking on every sort of set piece, whether that is a free kick from deeper, like the one that was scored on, or if that is a corner, just because then everybody has their man Everybody has their assigned role. It's very easy to pinpoint if somebody comes up short. And then you can also prepare the players in advance by saying you specifically, probably in this case, it would be either Fontas or Easy, are on Walker Zimmerman. Give one of them to uh, CJ Sapong or Dave Romney, right? Those big bodies, you pre-assign those. That's part of the scouting report. So I just feel like those two players, our two best defenders, were kind of caught ball watching because it wasn't a corner, and that's what they're used to. That's how they're used to defending is the space. Sure. Yeah. They're, caught, and I, they're caught running backwards towards their own goal. That's not anything you really want to have on a set piece. Yeah. I Personally, I, I understand why people would prefer zonal marking. I, I think that the upside of zonal marking is that you have people preset in spots so that you're not struggling to keep up with someone who's trying to shake you off and get the header in mm-hmm. like you would with man marking. And I think that that's more often than not the issue that sporting has is, as you mentioned, they, they have a few man marking, they have a few zonal marking, and then they get confused. 
those man markers are man marking for a period, but then they let their guy go because they go into someone's zone and they're like, oh, so-and-so will get the mark. And they are unaware because the attacker has weaved in at the edge of their zone behind them and that defender is looking at the ball in front of them. So I think that that's a lot of where the issues for sporting come through on set pieces is, as you said, they've got to be consistent. Either everybody is spatially marking in a zone system or they're man marking. And I think for sporting, it's easier to just man mark. Like you said, scout him out. Put EC on Walker because he's got he's strong and physical. Put Fontas on Sapung because he's strong and physical. You've got it. You've got to highlight those and make those choices. You can't go. Ah, eh, we'll we'll put some zone. We'll put some man. You've got to figure that out and solidify it one way or the other. So I, I think we're aligned on that. In the in the post game press conference or post-match interview, and then we'll also post-game press conference. Peter, when interviewed by Ali immediately following the match, used words like horrible, or sorry, horrendous and terrible to describe the mentality of this team. And personally, watching this game, I already mentioned it once, I felt like I was being transported back into 2019 where our defense couldn't do anything. Our attack was lackluster at best. But in 2019, we were coming off of one of our strongest attacking seasons. In fact, it was our strongest attacking season. We had the most goals in club history, thanks to the number of assists from Kyrie Shelton and his uh, movement in the box. And I think that that's really the major difference here, as well as the experience in the midfield. But mentality, Matt, would you you speak to how important it is for a player to – believe in themselves and in their ability that they have compared to overhyping their opponent and what their opponent is available is capable of doing. I, I don't know if that wasn't a very clear question. Are you talking about like Nashville specifically or just in general, uh, we've we've been struggling. Sporting has been struggling with this all season. I think it was just really highlighted and underlined in bold red ink sure. during the Nashville match. No, I I think that kind of just goes back to our discussion earlier of players being rotated. I think it's hard for a team, the whole team, to be confident in what they are producing if people just keep getting shuffled around. I also want to say that I don't. It sounds like I'm kind of blaming Peter here, but it's also not Peter at the same time because his hand is being forced a little bit with the injuries. Oh, and yeah. The rotation. And I will say if there's anything that you can criticize, it's that Peter's always been a coach that just has his system and his system has developed slowly over time, but he has a system that is played. And so what the problem is, is, if some of those starters end up getting hurt, now you're plugging players into the system that maybe their skill set doesn't necessarily facilitate that. And then I think that just brings us back to your point that a player whose skill set doesn't match the way Peter wants to play can put them in positions where they are not necessarily succeeding, which can lead to lower confidence, which can lead to uh, performances where maybe it, it has the appearance of not giving 
as much effort or maybe they actually aren't giving as much effort because they're confused as what's being asked of them or they're being asked to do things that are not as straightforward to them. So I think all these things that we've kind of talked about tonight are, are related and it's just something that we have to figure out how to deal with, right? We have to play these games no matter what. We can keep making excuses and talking about the stuff that is going wrong that's out of our control, like players getting hurt and stuff like that. Or maybe we can figure out how to adapt a little bit. Yeah. I think I think the adaptation is important, and I think Peter has even tried to do that with his five-man back line and the attempting to use other players in positions when they aren't suffering an injury in that position. For example, Logan and Denbe started the season, the first two or three matches, maybe even four matches, as the starting left back. Peter wasn't thrilled with the defensive prowess that he was exhibiting. He was pleased with his attacking opportunities, but he made the decision to switch tactics and go for a stronger defensive approach with a player like Ben Sweat. And so I think Peter is, as you mentioned, not all of this is on Peter. Peter is doing everything he can with the tools and the players at his disposal to make adjustments and to accommodate for the injuries and for the lack of form from some players. Because don't forget, Voinovich came in what was it? Second game of the season? Third game of the season? It was four ga- four days being there before. Peter has always said that he doesn't evaluate a team until after the first 10 matches of this season. So we are still very early days in this season. We're about to hit match number eight this weekend against LA, FC specifically. It's kind of important. And they're top of the table. We'll get into that in a bit. But we've got to figure out a lot of stuff before we are even able to consider ourselves close to a playoff team. Yeah. So I, I'm going to touch on Peter's post-game interview real quick. Okay. And then we'll, we'll bounce back to this state of the club discussion. But Peter basically said terrible, horrendous in regards to mentality. He – even went so far as to do a very un-Peter Vermees thing and didn't blame the refs. I think Peter has sort of built a reputation for saying the refs this, the refs that over the past several years specifically. And he, he said specifically, you know, I don't blame the refs. It is fully on us to figure this out and to fix our mentality. He talked about Uri as a late scratch. We already discussed that. And then he said something that I was really intrigued by and, quite frankly, 100% agreed with. He said Jonis and Voinovich were, quote, a handful. And Peter went on to say, he said that they were very good. And he went on to say, quote, we will likely be seeing them a lot more going forward. If other guys don't want to play and fight for it, we have other guys that are hungry and would like the chance. Those are Peter's words kind of jumbled around, but those are words. Do you believe this is accurate to what you saw of their performance? And do you think players should be taken off? If so, give me names. 
Oh, that's so tough. Because I don't know if we have the bodies to take off of this field right now. I would really like to see a player like Jake Davis maybe get a chance in the midfield. Okay. Um, I would also like to see Jonis maybe start a game. He has been pretty exciting coming in. I know that Peter specifically talks about Voinovich. I don't think I've seen enough of him yet to be willing to go out and say that I think he should be a starter. I am curious as to what you think of Cam Duke's performance. If you think that it was an early substitution worthy performance. I, so I, I don't think that Cam Duke had the best game of his life purely because, and I, I mentioned this to you via text and I, I may have tweeted it out from either our account or from my personal account on Twitter, but Cam Duke, while he was getting into good spots, was losing almost every single physical battle. And I think he has the strength to win those. But when you're going up against a guy who's got 10 years your senior in Randall Layal, who is small and aggressive and gritty and has neck tattoos and just looks like a gnarly dude... I personally would probably be losing those physical battles too. So I, I think Cam Duke had a good match, a good first half from the standpoint of getting into decent positions, having semi-decent good touches. But I think that Peter made the right decision and bringing on Hernandez. Hernandez, within seconds of coming on in the second half, he was getting into a verbal spat with Brandon Leal. He was shoving the man to the ground. He was not taking any of that crap from Randall that Cam Duke simply could not even hope to maintain or contain for that respect. So I think that Duke is a good player, and I'm not worried about him going forward. I just don't think that this was the right match matchup for him to be up against Randall Leal, and I think it was very smart from Peter to bring in Felipe Hernandez. I would have liked to have seen him start in this game. Okay. Uh, I see him more as starting in the position that Roger was in. I do understand that Peter values the leadership role that Espinosa brings to that midfield trio, especially if you think about what I propose, you'd have Duke and Hernandez both starting. Those are two young players. But... I just so you feel would like... you would take off Voltaire then? No, I would I would take off SB. I w- if I was to make the argument, I would say that Voltaire provides the the experience. I think he's been around in the league long enough, and he's been a professional long enough. But I think that Peter Vermi Peter Vermi's he does have his guys. I think Graham Zussi is one of his guys. I think Emil is oh, Emilia yeah. is one of his guys. I think Espinosa just look at the roster and anybody who's over thirty. Those are his boys. Yeah, which he's not below benching them, I, I don't no. think. Peter will do that, but I think that he's going to keep rolling out Roger. It's just it's one of those things where Roger is 36. Yeah, He's pretty old, right? Yeah. So I don't know. 
I think we I just think need Roger to get was more ready to walk away from players. the sport this offseason. And and was happy to resign, but I think that he was okay to walk away this offseason. Yeah. So but Peter was also asked another question during the post-game press conference. Uh, it was in Spanish, so this is my broken translation of it. But basically, Peter's gist of his response was that the guys, and I think he nails it on the head here, the players were lacking courage and professionalism. He compared them to Liga MX and how those players play compared to the way that this team behaved this against Nashville. And he said that they were just lacking professionalism and courage. And I think that's 100% true. And I think a lot of that is personified in Cam Duke's match. He had lack of professionalism to come into the match aware that Randall Leal was going to be that physical. He was lacking courage to go into aggressive tackles on Randall Leal. I don't want to hound on Cam Duke. I appreciated what he did positionally, but in terms of the one-on-one battle, he wasn't even at in the office. So I, I'm gonna I'm gonna jump off my soapbox on the Nashville match. Do you have anything else that you would like to add to that match? Um, I don't think so. I think we covered okay. most of it. We're going to get into the disappointing as if discussing two losses back-to-back wasn't disappointing enough. Matt, where do you see this club is sitting right now? And do you see them making the playoffs? So Don't worry do- about home field advantage. Just top eight, yes or no. I think that they're still in. I don't think that it's... It's too early to write that off. I think that actually we could probably continue with some not great performances through April and still be able to make that playoff push. You see it all the time. Teams have really rough starts. They get streaky. uh, They start to pick up form, right? And then they coast in towards the end. It's almost the opposite of what we usually do which I think is why a lot of Sporting KC fans are kind of up in arms right now, which I'm sure we're going to talk about in a, in a little bit here too. But uh, Sporting KC fans are used to winning, especially towards the beginning of the season. And I think we're just going to have to wait. I If I had to give a message to any Sporting KC fan, it would just be to be patient. Let's wait for some of these guys to get back, especially Russell and Gotti. Those are the two main guys that we really need in this in this midfield, I think that changes a lot of stuff for, for us. Both of those players are very good passers, and I think they would replace a couple players that maybe aren't as good of passers. And I think that provides more opportunity for our players up top and allows us to keep some more possession. And then the other thing, too, that I think that people haven't really taken into account yet or thought about is summer's coming up. There's a reason why we're looking at getting players – off of our roster, right? There's a reason why we're looking to end this Jose Maori thing so we can open up a spot for other people to come in. So I think that Peter Vermes is going to be, him and his staff are probably looking right now for players that can jump in and help help this team. 
I'm sure as we get closer to summer, we're going to talk about some of those potential players and what spots are of need in this lineup. But as far as panicking goes, I don't think it's time to panic yet. I think it is okay to be frustrated with the team's performance without saying that the sky is completely falling. I think right now we can look at games individually and not necessarily worry too much about their effect on the end of the season yet. I think we still have plenty of games and plenty of time. I agree. Yet again, dude, we got to we got to start discussing our takes pre-game just so that we can say, "No, you're wrong." No, this is not Oh, what is that show? I I hate it. It's on Sports Center. Heard and uh you know what I'm talking about. Yes, undisputed no, I, I with Skip and Shannon. Yes, or, yes. Or uh, ESPN has one first take with Stephen A. Smith, and it used to be Max Kellerman, but now it's a rotating door of people. Yeah, we're right. like they have to disagree. Mm-hmm. I understand it makes for good television, a good discussion, and it brings up both sides of the argument. But I like agreeing with you, man. You're nice. We're 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 bros. I, I don't want to yell at you, but. I think the state of the club right now is perfectly personified by the Taylor Twelman meme from when the U.S. failed to qualify for the World Cup in 2018. What are we doing? Right? A lot of stuff going on. And it's so, like, so much of this mentality thing, as Peter said to me. Peter said in the postgame, there's no training that needs to be done. He's like, we're ready. We just have to be ready mentally. So I honestly hope that in training this week, they spent about a third of their training sessions sitting in the theater, the the video room, watching mental health educational videos. You know what I mean? Like, not like self-care, go grab a coloring book, but self-care is in how to mentally prepare. Because that to me is also self-care. Being able to mentally barricade yourself behind a wall of performance isn't who I am. And then you're not worried about, oh, I can't have a bad game because then I'm going to get yelled at by the fans. You know, I'm going to segue with that. FC Ultras are a fan group in KC and they're pretty much the Ultras are one of the classic terms used to describe supporters groups since the earliest days. Right. And I think the ultras really does that word personifies the supporters group really well, because in SKC we have the cauldron and we have the ultras and we have a few others that are lesser known um, supporters groups. But I think that the ultras, not, I think that, FC Ultras released a statement about an altercation that occurred with Johnny Russell following the match. The Ultras at the end of the match against Nashville started chanting things like, not good enough, we deserve better. And they ended up releasing a statement that said, following the altercation with Johnny, Johnny was unhappy with what they were saying. I guess somebody in the crowd specifically was saying things that Johnny specifically was not happy with. So Johnny jumped the barricade, ran all the way up to the fan and got in his face, was yelling at him, all that stuff. The Ultra said they are totally cool with everything Johnny said and did. 
that's what they want to see from the players, according to FC Ultras. They said that they believe, due to the amount of time, effort, money, and passion that they put into this team, that they deserve better results from the club. disagree more your job as a supporter is to do that support whether they're winning whether they're losing it doesn't matter support can come in different forms it can come in constructive criticism it can come in the form of screaming your head off and throwing a beer because Johnny Russell just scored a worldie but it also can come in the shape of not performing to the level that we know that you're capable of performing to and we want to know how we can help not negging and screaming things like not good enough we deserve better you as a fan deserve nothing you as a fan deserve the seat at the match that you paid for and you deserve to watch a match as a spectator as a fan we deserve zero all we deserve for the athletes on the pitch that we support to give it their all. And while the players aren't always giving their all, uh, sorry, may not always seem like they're giving their all. They are. They are just dealing with their own mental issues, dude. I don't know how, how you're feeling about this statement from the ultras. Uh, What is your take on this? Well, I was not at the game, but what I would imagine happened was that this was just it was a few people that were interacting uh with johnny here that were you know making specific targeted comments and then that ended up kind of spiraling and making it look like it was a whole section of people um i agree with you on your take that the fan doesn't necessarily deserve certain results. I think that they can have expectations, but then I think that I agree with you that the support has to be there. Sporting KC went through a rough patch. I believe it was last year, the year before where a group of fans uh, organized together one day, they showed up at the training center as the players were arriving with signs and stuff like that to show their support and their appreciation for the club. I think that's the type of stuff that you want to see. I think that that's the kind of stuff that encourages a player uh, to be motivated and to think about the fact that they have people that are supporting them and that they have a city that they are playing for. Um, I don't know. I thought it was kind of disrespectful is maybe the word of a group of yeah. fans to be chanting that, or, or, especially or in April, especially in April. Right. You know, sometimes you see – like at NFL games when a team's 0-14 at the end of the season, stuff like this happen. And in that case, I kind of understand a little bit. Uh, a little bit. Just a tiny, tiny bit. But, you know, at the end of the day, there's still professionals on the field and they're trying their best. It's just not going their way. You know what I mean? So, I don't know. I, I thought it was kind of a a bummer of a way to end the match. And I do not blame Johnny Russell for being fired up 
I'm just happy he didn't like go and fight somebody and get a suspension or something like that. Because when I watch the video, I see him charging towards the fans, and I'm like, oh no, this is. Oh, good. see, I I didn't see any video. There was video circulating on Twitter. I believe that it was on the South Stand side where this altercation altercation happened. Okay, I could be totally wrong on that, but yeah, I the, the video I believe was captioned something like. Johnny going to fight a fan or something like that. And oh, when I great. saw that, I was just like, oh, no. next time, why don't you? Right, right. But basically, Johnny just goes up up into the stands and yells and confronts the fan, which yeah. is way better than swinging. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I My next question for you would be, do you think that sporting should just hang up their boots and, and call it a season? But you already answered that, which it was absolutely not. It's April. We're seven games in. That'd be an overreaction of all overreactions. And uh, is that is that fair? Oh, of course. Yeah. yeah. I think cool. you see I would, teams I would turn it around same. during the summer all the time. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. They've got plenty. They've got they've got some time. I think the big thing is they've got to take care of the home results and honestly the away results. I. Those can go by the wayside for right now. As long as we can get results at home, then once we get our form back, we can take care of business. Yeah. I would, I, again, cosign everything. Okay. We're moving out of the doom and gloom. Everybody shake it off. Take a deep breath with me. Really bad deep breath, but we're moving on. We're an hour and five minutes into this dang thing. And it's been nothing but doom and gloom. So we're going to move on into the injuries. Woo! More doom and gloom sadness. Still got Ikinda. Still not a timetable on him. Alan Polito obviously out for the rest of the season. Uri Rossell did not practice with the team on April 12th, which was Tuesday of this week. We are recording this podcast on the 13th. No update on whether or not he practiced today or not. But... It was reported by Daniel Sperry that he did not practice on the 12th. Not a whole lot to read into there. If he was ready to go and then was a late scratch due to not 100% over this past weekend, I'm not worried about it. Let's go into the media, shall we? So there was a graphic that was put out by a guy by the name of Elliot McKinley on Twitter, and he does this thing every season where he puts out a graphic regarding how players or how teams are doing based off of their luck and their quality. So he does this based off of XG points for X points per game. So like how many points per game you're getting. And then also the points compared to the points per game. So like calls basically, um, your actual results, where you're supposed to be getting your results at. So based off of these projections and these actual stats, um, Sporting KC is in the bad and unlucky category. But they are not the deepest in said category. The deepest in said category are the San Jose Earthquakes. Also joining Sporting in this category are Inter-Miami, Revolution, NYCFC, Montreal, DC 
United, Minnesota, and sort of kind of the Portland Timbers. Matt, do you believe that this graphic is accurate in that sporting has been bad and unlucky? Or do you believe they should be in a different quadrant of the chart? Um, I think that Sporting KC... Hmm. And mind That's you, they're, really they're like question. close to the bad and lucky line. They're closer to bad and lucky than they are to good and unlucky. Right. I think that if they start actually converting the chances, they're going to move over to the good side. Um, I think they're unlucky because they just haven't, they haven't performed on some of those chances. They, like I said earlier when I was talking about the Vancouver game, I feel like some of the opportunities that we were taking were just bad takes. They were, there was no reason to try and shoot the ball from a certain area, no reason to try the opportunities that we were creating. And then there were some opportunities that fell to our feet that we absolutely should have made a better chance on. Um, and so between those two types of opportunities, I think they're giving us enough XG that it looks like we should be scoring more, but they're all percentages of an XG. It's not like we're missing whole chances. We're missing lots of partial chances. So I don't know. That's kind of my opinion on that. Yeah. I, I would agree that, that we've been bad and unlucky just because of the, the calls against Shelton alone have been enough. If if Shelton's getting those foul calls, we have at least four more points. I I'm not blaming the refs because the team could do better, but that's where I stand on that. Ali Trost put out a tweet that we could see a lot more of Jonis and Nikola Voinovich, as we mentioned earlier, a lot more going forward. And off of that similar vein, uh, Daniel Sperry had a tweet where he asked Peter post-game, Jonis, could he play in Kinda's 10 role? Could he play in that dual pivot eight as the attacking mid? And Peter said that he's comfortable with Jonis in all four attacking spots, but that he really likes him coming in from the left. So this prompted a response from too much rock at, Sid Much Rock uh, on Twitter. They said, then we agree. Put Daniel in the middle and put Shelton on the bench. This, of course, is implying that Johnny's goes to the left wing. Daniel Shallowy goes to the striker. Johnny stays put on the right. And we put Shelton on the bench. What are your thoughts of this proposition? Do you think Daniel should be at the 10? Or sorry, Daniel should be at the 10 or the 9? Or do you think Johnny should and, and Johnny should be taking his spot? Or should Johnny's be at the 10? I'd rather see Johnny's at the 10. Okay. I don't think that Daniel would play the nine very well. I think that Daniel creates his opportunities mostly from dribbling inside from the wing, same as Johnny Russell. And I think if you put him in a situation where his back is to goal more, he's not creating as many opportunities or getting as many opportunities to score. So I'd rather see Johnny's at the 10. I think he gives him the opportunity to pick up the ball and carry it into the box. 
or to find creative passes. He seems like that kind of player that can slip balls through. So I'd be willing to give that a shot. Okay. My personal opinion, and I have not seen this voiced anywhere else, and if you have already said this, I apologize to anybody listening. Johnny Russell at the nine as a false nine. Johnny's on the right and Daniel on the left. And then they braid together as an attacking trio. So very fluidly, if Johnny wants to go out wide to the right, he goes out to the right. Johnny's comes to the middle. Daniel and Johnny switch, so on and so forth. So that keeps the entirety of the opponent's back line guessing as to who they're going to have to be prepared to go up against. And it creates a predictability that sporting has not been able to develop yet. I really like that look, and we've had a glimpse of Johnny at the nine in the false nine role a a couple of seasons ago, and I didn't hate it. I like it more than I like what he's doing right now. And I don't know if Voinovich understands the system enough to be ready to start, but I think that if we don't see – those three up in the top three in some formational system, we will see Nikola Vojnovic in for Kyrie. Um, no matter what, I don't think we see Kyrie for a couple of weeks unless he's coming off the bench. Okay. I think I could see the same thing except instead of having Johnny play the nine, just basically constantly switching the two wing players. I played in a system like that once where basically the two wings were – on every dead ball, like set pieces and stuff like that, just you would migrate to the other side, and it just kept yep. the defenders on their toes a little bit. I don't necessarily see Johnny playing at the nine spot and getting what we like to see out of Johnny, the carrying it in from the sideline and getting those classic dribbles, you know, catching defenders in 1v1 scenarios, getting the ball to the end line. You know, that takes that out of his game. So I don't know if that'll happen, but I think you could see wingers rotating. Sure. I And we, we do see that winger flip that you mentioned of, of on set pieces switching or dead ball switching or migrating. We've seen that from Johnny and Daniel for years. So I, that's why I'm thinking it wouldn't be too big of a, of a switch or an adjustment if we add in an additional winger across that top three and just have all three of them switch in and out of the wing slots. Obviously, I have no say in the team and I have no history of coaching, so I'm probably not the best guy to make this call, which is why I'm not making the call. So we're going to move on. The Jose Maury saga has finally come to an end. It was announced yesterday that Jose Maury has finally parted ways with the club, and this does open up an international roster spot. There was no note on what financial implications this has on the club, whether the team got salary uh, relief or not. My guess would be that they did not because they didn't wait for a window to offload him in another way. 
Any notes on that? I mean, it's kind of just said and done, point blank, black and white. I'm happy that we got that taken care of just because it yeah. opens up spots for us to make signings in the summer. So yeah. the sooner that we can open that up, the quicker we can get to looking. Yes, sir. I agree. Okay. Do you have anything else for the SKC news portion? Um, I don't think so. I think we hit everything. Cool. Awesome. Brilliant. Fantastic. Let's move into the match preview. Ladies and gentlemen, LAFC are going to play host to Sporting Kansas City on Sunday, April 17th at 3 p.m. Central Standard Time at the Bank of California Stadium. LAFC are 4-1-1, 13 points through six matches. They currently sit in the number one spot in the Western Conference. In their last five matches from Recent to most recent, they had a draw 1-1 against Portland. They won 2-0 over Miami in Miami. They won 3-1 over Vancouver. They won 4-2 over Orlando. And they most recently lost away at the Galaxy. The Galaxy. LAFC have a new head coach in Steve Chirundolo, who has revitalized the side injected caffeine into this team like we have never seen outside of their first two seasons in the league. They are new players who have been phenomenal. Maxim Crepo killing it in goal. Our boy Elie, boy Elie has been one of the only players who has started every single match for LAFC. And Ryan Hollings had the former FC Dallas man who has been a massive reason why LAFC are crushing it in the system that Steve Chirondolo likes to utilize, which is heavy on the attacking fullbacks. He likes to get every man into the attack, but something that's different than the way that we've seen this utilized elsewhere in the league is that when a man goes forward, their back line does not go into complete disarray for the most part. They are able to keep their structure, their shape, and maintain communication so that they don't concede. Wow, words are hard. So they don't concede easy counterattacks and easy goals. They have had six different starting lineups in seven matches, similar to Sporting KC. They're still figuring it out. They have had some players transferred out of the club since the start of the season. They're starting, I believe he was a left back in Moon Huang. Um, he was transferred out of the league. Matt, how are we feeling about this game? Oh, this is going to be a tough one, I think. It's, it's a game that could be a trap game for LAFC in terms of being a game where they come into – the match on sort of a high, they look at Sporting KC as a, it's a team that struggled and then they maybe don't come out with their best effort and maybe we catch them by surprise and get an early goal and then turn that into more opportunities and stuff like that. That could absolutely be the case. But I see this as being a difficult team. Uh, their midfield three has been fantastic every single game, no matter who's starting. Usually you see Elie 
in that starting lineup. And then those other two midfielders have varied between Acosta, Cifuentes, Blessing. That's a very energetic pair to play with a very good tempo setting passer. And so I think those players always complement each other very well. And then, of course, you have to talk about the attack. Before the game against LAFC, Carlos Vela has been banging in goals. He had a game a couple weeks ago against, oh, it wasn't the Vancouver game. It was maybe Colorado. Oh, yeah, that was his first game of the season where he's banging in hat tricks, right? Providing and making dangerous runs, also assisting his other teammates. And so he might be a shifty player that's going to be difficult for Sporting KC to deal with. And so that does make me a little bit nervous, especially because as I've emphasized on this podcast, I feel like our midfield has been the spot of the field that we've struggled at. It's been the spot of the field where we haven't had the consistency that we want. And so if you look at a team like LA, who's going to be bringing in Blessing, Acosta, Sanchez, Guinea, I, you know, they've got lots of depth and they've got lots of quality players that they're rotating in there. It just, it makes me a little nervous. I think that Sporting KC is going to be playing for a point here, potentially. I can see them conceding a little bit more possession in order to bunker back a little bit more. I don't think that they're going to try and venture forward much with the attacking talent that LAFC has. But if LAFC ends up getting on the board, I think that Sporting KC is going to have to come out of their shell. And then that's where we could probably see some more goals scored on us. I'm not super optimistic about this game. I'm kind of setting my hopes low so that I don't get crushed later. But I don't know. I'm usually an optimist. I just, I I think I'm being real with this game. I, I don't see us winning this one. Yeah, I would agree. I think that Sporting are going to have a decent hill to climb. And I don't expect Sporting to dig themselves out of the hole with this match. But I do expect to see improvement. I think they're going to be looking a lot better than they did against Nashville. And that might also just be the ENFP in me that sees the good in everyone and is overly optimistic about everything. So that's sort of my two cents on it. My, my one hope is, however, LAFC are set to play Orange County FC in the U.S. Open Cup round three. This coming Wednesday, April 20th. So maybe Steve Chirondolo says, you know what? I've played in this tournament before. I think we need to save some of our better players to go head-to-head against Orange County. So we're going to rest Elie and Vela and Chichorango and Ginella and all these other guys. It's not going to happen. But... I could be optimistic about it. I can hope. Maybe we'll get the second string. Who knows? Any other thoughts on LAFC before we rock into the mailbag? I will say, if we do pull off a result here, especially a win, that could be the fastest way to bouncing back that Sporting KC has. 1,000%, yes. If you you win this game, then I think the fans forget about the horrible start to the season. 
I think fans have really short goldfish memories a lot of times. And a big win against a team like this could be massive. Yeah, agreed. That was a really solid callback to uh, – oh, shoot. Ted Lasso, by the way. That was nice. I like oh. that. Goldfish memories. Solid yeah. stuff. All right. Let's square dance our way on over into the mailbag where we have our first ever mailbag question. John Jordan at JJ Kansas on Twitter asked us, quote, SKC has, a, has the personnel to be playing hotter than they are. What's the problem? Matt, would you like to take this away? Sure. We kind of already just, touched on it. Yeah, I, I'd just say it's the rotation. Like I, yeah. like we've said a few times, I, you know, you could go back and listen to what I said earlier, I guess. But yeah, just consistency-wise, we're not putting it together. And so until we can get some of those starters back and get a string of games in a row, then we're probably going to see more of the same. Yeah, and I think I think – I would still say mentality is a huge part of it. I know that rotation plays a factor in the mentality. And if you can get a good rotation in, then that mentality will be higher. But I think a major part of it is still the mentality of it. And again, John Jordan at JJ Kansas. If you want to hear the full breakdown, hit rewind on this bad boy and uh, go listen to us break it down earlier in the pod. Matt. Before we head out, do you have any other comments, questions, concerns, or recipes? I don't think so. I'm looking okay. forward to this game. I, I really do hope we can pull something off here. Right on. Awesome. For you listening at home, at work, on the drive, in the train, wherever you're at, we do appreciate you. Please make sure to leave us a review. Share this with your friends on whatever platform you listen on. Let them know by word of mouth. Share it. Hit the review button. Like, comment, subscribe, do all the good stuff, and reach out to us. If you got a question you want us to let you know about, let us know. We're going to be trying to get back onto the weekly release dates and get our schedules back realigned. It has just been crazy as Matt's team has hit full season form, and I've started calling their games, so it's getting a little hairy in our scheduling system. But we are working it out to the best of our abilities. We're hoping to get podcasts out probably Tuesday morning or Wednesday morning are probably going to be where we're shooting for. So Matt, anything else? Hey, we're like sporting KC. We're looking forward to the summer. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Looking for that transfer window. Maybe on the, on the horizon, we might have some interviews coming in, getting some guests on the podcast. So keep an eye out for those in the feed for Matt Lundy. I'm Tristan Jordan. Thanks for listening. Have a great rest of your day, morning, afternoon, evening, dinner, meal, drive, train ride, all that good stuff. Peace!